0: Section 6 of The Analysis of Mind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. The Analysis of Mind by Bertrand Russell. Section 7. The traditional conception of cause and effect is one which modern science shows to be fundamentally erroneous and requiring to be replaced by a quite different notion that of laws of change in the traditional conception a particular event a caused a particular event b and by this it was implied that given any event b some earlier event a could be discovered which had a relation to it such that whenever a occurred it was followed by b in this sequence there was something necessary not a mere de facto occurrence of a first then b the second point is illustrated by the old discussion as to whether it can be said that day causes night on the ground that day is always followed by night the orthodox answer was that day could not be called the cause of night because it would not be followed by night if the earth's rotation were to cease or rather to grow so slow that one complete rotation would take a year a cause it was held must be such that under no conceivable circumstances that it could fail to be followed by its effect as a matter of fact such sequences as were sought by believers in the traditional form of causation have not so far been found in nature everything in nature is apparently in a state of continuous change so that what we call one event turns out to be really a process If this event is to cause another event, the two will have to be contiguous in time. For if there is any interval between them, something may happen during that interval to prevent the expected effect. Cause and effect, therefore, will have to be temporally contiguous processes. It is difficult to believe, at any rate where physical laws are concerned, that the earlier part of the process, which is the cause, can make any difference to the effect so long as the later part of the process which is the cause remains unchanged suppose for example that a man dies of arsenic poisoning we say that his taking arsenic was the cause of death but clearly the process by which he acquired the arsenic is irrelevant everything that happened before he swallowed it may be ignored since it cannot alter the effect except in so far as it alters his condition at the moment of taking the dose but we may go further swallowing arsenic is not really the proximate cause of death since a man might be shot through the head immediately after taking the dose and then it would not be of arsenic that he would die the arsenic produces certain physiological changes which take a finite time before they end in death the earlier parts of these changes can be ruled out in the same way as we can rule out the process by which the arsenic was acquired proceeding this way we can shorten the process which we are calling the cause more and more similarly we shall have to shorten the effect it may happen that immediately after the man's death his body is blown to pieces by a bomb we cannot say what will happen after the man's death through merely knowing that he has died as a result of arsenic poisoning thus if we are to take the cause as one event and the effect as another both must be shortened indefinitely the result is that we merely have as an embodiment of our causal law a certain direction of change at each moment hence we are brought to differential equations as embodying causal laws a physical law does not say a will be followed by b but tells us what acceleration a particle will have under given circumstances i e it tells us how the particle's motion is changing at each moment not where the particle will be at some future moment laws embodied in differential equations may possibly be exact but cannot be known to be so all that we know empirically is approximate and liable to exceptions the exact laws that are assumed in physics are known to be somewhere near the truth but are not known to be true just as they stand the laws that we actually know empirically have the form of the traditional causal laws except that they are not to be regarded as universal or necessary taking arsenic is followed by death is a good empirical generalization it may have the advantage that they deal with observable phenomena we cannot observe infinitesimals whether in time or space we do not even know whether time and space are infinitely divisible therefore rough empirical generalizations have a definite place in science in spite of not being exact of universal they are the data for more exact laws and the grounds for believing that they are usually true are stronger than the grounds for believing that the more exact laws are always true science starts therefore from generalizations of the form a is usually followed by b this is the nearest approach that can be made to a causal law of the traditional sort it may happen in any particular instance that a is always followed by b but we cannot know this since we cannot foresee all the perfectly possible circumstances that might make the sequence fail or know that none of them will actually occur if however we know of a very large number of cases in which a is followed by b and few or none in which the sequence fails we shall in practice be justified in saying a causes b provided we do not attach to the notion of cause any of the metaphysical superstitions that have gathered about the word there is another point besides lack of universality and necessity which it is important to realize as regards causes in the above sense and that is a lack of uniqueness it is generally assumed that given any event There is some one phenomenon which is the cause of the event in question. This seems to be a mere mistake cause in the only sense in which it can be practically applied means nearly invariable antecedent we cannot in practice obtain an antecedent which is quite invariable for this would require us to take account of the whole universe since something not taken account of may prevent the expected effect we cannot distinguish among nearly invariable antecedents one as the cause and the others as merely a concomitant the attempt to do this depends upon a notion of cause which is derived from will and will as we shall see later is not at all the sort of thing that it is generally supposed to be nor is there any reason to think that in the physical world there is anything even remotely analogous to what will is supposed to be if we can find one antecedent and only one that was quite invariable, we could call that one the cause without introducing any notion derived from mistaken ideas about will. But in fact, if we could find one antecedent and only one that was quite invariable, we could call that one the cause without introducing any notion derived from mistaken ideas about will. But in fact, we cannot find any antecedent that we know to be quite invariable, and we can find many that are nearly so. For example, men leave a factory for dinner when the Hooter sounds at 12 o'clock. You may say that the Hooter is the cause of their leaving, but innumerable other Hooters in other factories which also always sound at twelve o'clock have just as good a right to be called the cause thus every event has many nearly invariable antecedents and therefore many antecedents which may be called its cause the laws of traditional physics in the form in which they deal with movements of matter or electricity have an apparent simplicity which somewhat conceals the empirical character of what they assert a piece of matter as it is known empirically is not a single existing thing but a system of existing Thing. When several people simultaneously see the same table, they all see something different. Therefore, the table which they are supposed to all see must be either a hypothesis or a construction the table is to be neutral as between different observers it does not favour the aspect seen by one man at the expense of that seen by another it was natural though to my mind mistake to regard the real table as the common cause of all the appearances which the table presents as we say to different observers but why should we suppose that there is some one common cause of all these appearances as we have just seen the notion of cause is not so reliable as to allow us to infer the existence of something that by its very nature can never be observed instead of looking for an impartial source we can secure neutrality by the equal representation of all parties instead of supposing that there is some unknown cause the real table behind the different sensations of those who are said to be looking at the table we may take the whole set of these sensations together possibly with certain other particulars as actually being the table that is to say the table which is neutral as between different observers actual and possible is a set of all those particulars which would naturally be called aspects of the table from different points of view it may be said if there is no single existence which is the source of all these aspects how are they collected together the answer is simple just as they would be if there were such a single existent the supposed real table underlying its appearances is in any case not itself perceived but inferred and the question whether such and such a particular is an aspect of this table is only to be settled by the connector of the particular in question with one or more particulars by which the table is defined that is to say even if we assume a real table the particulars which are its aspects have to be collected together by their relations to each other not to it since it is merely inferred from them we have only therefore to notice how they are collected together and we can then keep the collection without assuming any real table as distinct from the collection when different people see what they call the same table they see things which are not exactly the same owing to difference of point of view but which are sufficiently alike to be described in the same words so long as no great accuracy or minuteness is sought these closely similar particulars are collected together by their similarity primarily and more correctly by the fact that they are related to each other approximately according to the laws of perspective and of reflection and diffraction of light i suggest as a first approximation that these particulars together with such correlated others are unperceived jointly are the table and that a similar definition applies to all physical objects in order to eliminate the reference to our perception which introduces an irrelevant psychological suggestion i will take a different illustration namely stellar photography a photographic plate exposed on a clear night reproduces the appearance of the portion of the sky concerned with more or fewer stars according to the power of the telescope that is being used each separate star which is photographed produces its separate effect on the plate just as it would upon ourselves if we were looking at the sky if we assume as science normally does the continuity of physical processes we are forced to conclude that at the place where the plate is and at all places between it and a star which it photographs something is happening which is specially connected with that star in the days when the ether was less in doubt we should have said that what was happening was a certain kind of transverse vibration in the ether but it is not necessary or desirable to be so explicit all we need say is that something happens which is specially connected with the star in question it must be something specially connected with that star since that star produces its own special effect upon the plate whatever it is must be the end of a process which starts from the star and radiates outwards partly on general grounds of continuity partly to account for the fact that light is transmitted with a certain definite velocity we thus arrive at the conclusion that if a certain star is visible at a certain place or could be photographed by a sufficiently sensitive plate at that place something is happening there which is specially connected with that star therefore in every place at all times a vast multitude of things must be happening namely at least for every physical object which can be seen or photographed from that place we can classify such happenings on either of two principles we can collect together all the happenings in one place as is done by photography so far as light is concerned we can collect together all the happenings in different places which are connected in the way that common sense regards as being due to their emanating from one object thus to return to the stars we can collect together either all the appearances of different stars in a given place or all the appearances of a given star in different places but when i speak of appearances i do so only for brevity i do not mean anything that must appear to somebody but only that happening whatever it may be which is connected at the place in question with the physical object according to the old orthodox theory it would be a transverse vibration in the ether, like the different appearances of the table to a number of simultaneous observers the different particulars that belong to one physical object are to be collected together by continuity and inherent laws of correlation, not by their supposed causal connection with an unknown assumed existent, called a piece of matter, which would be a mere unnecessary metaphysical thing in itself. A piece of matter, according to the definition that I propose, is, as a first approximation, the collection of all those correlated particulars which would normally be regarded as its appearances or effects in different places. Some further elaborations are desirable, but we can ignore them for the present. I shall return to them at the end of this lecture. according. According to the view I am suggesting, a physical object or piece of matter is a collection of all those correlated particulars which would be regarded by common sense as its effects or appearances in different places. On the other hand, all the happenings in a given place represent what common sense would regard as the appearances of a number of different objects as viewed from that place all the happenings in one place may be regarded as a view of the world from that place i shall call the view of the world from a given place a perspective a photograph represents a perspective on the other hand if photographs of the stars were taken in all points throughout space and in all such photographs a certain star say sirius were picked out whenever it appeared all the different appearances of sirius taken together would represent serious for the understanding of the difference between psychology and its physics it is vital to understand these two ways of classifying particulars namely according to the place where they occur according to the system of correlated particulars in different places to which they belong such system being defined as a physical object given a system of particulars which is a physical object i shall define that one of the system which is in a given place as the appearance of that object in that place when the appearance of an object in a given place changes it is found that one or other of two things occurs the two possibilities may be illustrated by an example you are in a room with the man whom you see you may cease to see him either by shutting your eyes or by his going out of the room in the first case his appearance to other people remains unchanged in the second his appearance changes from all places in the first case you say that it is not he who has changed but your eyes in the second you say that he has changed generalizing, we distinguish cases in which only certain appearances of the object change, while others, and especially appearances from places very near to the object, do not change. Cases where all, or almost all, the appearances of the object undergo a connected change. In the first case, the change is attributed to the medium between the object and the place in the second it is attributed to the object itself it is the frequency of the latter kind of change and the comparatively simple nature of the laws governing the simultaneous alterations of appearances in such cases that have made it possible to treat a physical object as one thing and to overlook the fact that it is a system of particulars when a number of people at a theatre watch an actor the changes in their several perspectives are so similar and so closely correlated that all are popularly regarded as identical with each other and with the changes of the actor himself so long as all the changes in the appearances of a body are thus correlated there is no pressing prima facie need to break up the system of appearances or to realize that the body in question is is not really one thing but a set of correlated particulars. It is especially and primarily such changes that physics deals with, i.e. it deals primarily with the processes in which the unity of a physical object need not be broken up because all its appearances change simultaneously according to the same law, or if not at all, at any rate from places sufficiently near to the object with increasing accuracy as we approach the object the changes in appearances of an object which are due to changes in the intervening medium will not affect or will affect only very slightly the appearances from places close to the object if the appearances from sufficiently neighbouring places are either wholly unchanged or changed to a diminishing extent which has zero for its limit it is usually found that the changes can be accounted for by changes in objects which are between the object in question and the places from which its appearance has changed appreciably thus physics is able to reduce the laws of most changes with which it deals to changes in physical objects and to state most of its fundamental laws in terms of matter it is only in those cases in which the unity of the system of appearances constituting a piece of matter has to be broken up that the statement of what is happening cannot be made exclusively in terms of matter the whole of psychology we shall find is included among such cases, hence their importance for our purposes. We can now begin to understand one of the fundamental differences between physics and psychology. Physics treats as a unit the whole system of appearances of a piece of matter, whereas psychology is interested in certain of these appearances themselves. Confining ourselves for the moment to the psychology of perceptions, we observe that perceptions are certain of the appearances of physical objects from the point of view that we have been hitherto adopting we might define them as the appearances of objects at places from which sense organs and the suitable parts of the nervous system form part of the intervening medium just as a photographic plate receives a different impression of a cluster of stars when a telescope is part of the intervening medium so a brain receives a different impression when an eye and an optic nerve are part of the intervening medium An impression due to this sort of intervening medium is called a perception, and is interesting to psychology on its own account, not merely as one of the set of correlated particulars which is the physical object of which, as we say, we are having a perception. We spoke earlier of two ways of classifying particulars. One way collects together the appearances commonly regarded as a given object from different places. This is, broadly speaking, the way of physics leading to the construction of physical objects as sets of appearances the other way collects together the appearances of different objects from a given place the result being what we call a perspective in the particular case where the place concerned is a human brain the perspective belonging to the place consists of all perceptions of a certain man at a given time thus classification by perspectives is relevant to psychology and is essential in defining what we mean by one mind i do not wish to suggest that the way in which i have been defining perceptions is the only possible way or even the best way it is a way that arose naturally out of our present topic but when we approach psychology from a more introspective standpoint we have to distinguish sensations and perceptions if possible from other mental occurrences if any we have also to consider the psychological effects of sensations as opposed to their physical causes and correlates these problems are quite distinct from those with which we have been concerned in the present lecture and i shall not deal with them until a later stage it is clear that psychology is concerned essentially with actual particulars not merely with systems of particulars in this it differs from physics which broadly speaking is concerned with the cases in which all the particulars which make up one physical object can be treated as a single causal unit or rather the particulars which are sufficiently near to the object of which they are appearances can be so treated the laws which physics seeks can broadly speaking be stated by treating such systems of particulars as causal units the laws which psychology seeks cannot be so stated since the particulars themselves are what interest the psychologist this is one of the fundamental differences between physics and psychology and to make it clear has been the main purpose of this lecture i will conclude with an attempt to give a more precise definition of a piece of matter the appearance of a piece of matter from different places change partly according to intrinsic laws the laws of perspective in the case of visual shape partly according to the nature of the intervening medium fog blue spectacles telescopes microscopes sense organs etc as we approach nearer to the object the effect of the intervening medium grows less in a generalized sense all the intrinsic laws of change or appearance may be called laws of perspective given any appearance of an object we can construct hypothetically a certain system of appearances to which the appearance in question would belong if the laws of perspective alone were concerned if we construct this hypothetical system for each appearance of the object in turn the system corresponding to a given appearance x will be independent of any distortion due to the medium beyond x and will only embody such distortion as is due to the medium between x and the object. Thus, as the appearance by which our hypothetical system is defined is moved nearer and nearer to the object, the hypothetical system of appearances defined by its means embodies less and less of the effect of the medium. The different sets of appearances resulting from moving x nearer and nearer to the object will approach to a limiting set and this limiting set will be that system of appearances which the object would present if the laws of perspective alone were operative and the medium exercised no distorting effect this limiting set of appearances may be defined for purposes of physics as a piece of matter concerned end of section 6